Competitors, we're talking about mental performance today, working the process, and most importantly, why you got to strengthen your abs. Today on this brand new episode with Julia Elaine. Welcome back to the Compete Everyday Podcast, Competitor Nation. Jake here, your Chief Encouragement Officer, and I'm excited about today's conversation with Julia Lane. She is a mental performance coach out of the Northeast. She grew up the daughter of one of America's most successful hockey coaches, and she talks about what she learned growing up as a coach's daughter that really inspired her to pursue mental performance. We talk a little bit about her upbringing, what set her down this path, and then how she's doing work today. What are the things that we need to do to strengthen our abs? And it's not the abs you think about. It's our acceptance, our body language, and our self-talk. Why we always need to be working on those three skills and what are things that you can do today to better improve your abs in those areas. And then finally, we wrap up today's conversation talking about the importance of laughter when it comes to performance. How when we're tight, when we're afraid, when we're tense, we tend to perform at our worst. Whether we're talking about on the sports field, whether we're talking about in the boardroom, making a sales call, there is something to be said about having a good laugh and what it can do to your body and to your mental state and most importantly, what you care about to your performance. So sit in tight for today's conversation with Julia before we dive into the show, I want to remind you to join the Morning Competitor Club. If you're not in there already, man, I would love to have a conversation with you every morning. Just You will be able to start your day with a quick note from me to help you better show up motivated and focused to win every single day. And all you've got to do to join is text the word podcast to 972-945-9113. That's text podcast to 972 972- Nine four five nine one one three, and you're going to get a text message from me starting every single morning. It's not automated. It's not scheduled. It is me sending you a text message because I care about your success and I want you to start the day fired up to go win it. So I can't wait to see you there tomorrow morning if you're not already in there. And if you're part of the morning club, if you're one of the thousands of competitors already starting the day with me, man, I love you. I'm so excited you're here. I can't wait to keep pouring into you. Now, let's get into this week's brand new episode with Julia Lane. Julia, welcome to the Compete Everyday Podcast. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Happy Friday. Yes, happy Friday as we are recording this uh, in June, June 11th here and, and looking forward to it. It is already pushing 100 degrees here in Texas and you in the Northeast are probably enjoying way way better weather than I am right now. But man, weather aside, I'm excited because it's Friday. And more importantly, we get to have a conversation around mental performance and ways we can better compete every day. Before we dive in, would love to get just a little insight into you. What inspired you to pursue work in the mental performance world? Yeah. Um, so a little background about me. I mean, I was an athlete my whole life growing up, played a bunch of different sports, but soccer was always my main sport when I, as an athlete. But I also grew up with a coach as a father, um, never coached me, but um, he was a hockey coach at the professional, the Olympic, the collegiate level. So I always got to have a really unique insight where I had my perspective as the athlete, but I always got his perspective as a coach and a coach at the best level possible. Um, 
And so I think my conversations I had growing up, I was really fortunate to have those with him in the car ride to and from practice and games. I mean, sometimes I had practice an hour and a half away. So it was a lot of quality time, both with him and my mom. And those conversations, I think, really sparked that desire to learn more and understand more. I mean, he was always reading coaching books, psychology books. He's kind of a lifelong learner. And so I kind of took his lead and just wanted to continue those conversations in a more formal capacity, I guess. Yeah. What's what's one thing that's always stood out? One of those lessons that you remember your dad kind of teaching or, or maybe one that didn't stand out at the time, but a little bit later in life, looking back, you're like, oh, dad didn't know what he was talking about. I mean, I think it's a lesson that he necessarily didn't explicitly say to me, but um, I've always looked up to him as kind of that gold standard. I mean, he's won a national championship. He's been to multiple Olympics. I always saw him super biased, but as the best coach ever, um, even though he never coached me. And even looking at him with his success and the rings that he has, he has an Ivy League education. He was always asking questions and trying to learn more. He was always reading. When I started studying sports psychology and I was in grad school and the questions started coming to me, it was super flattering. It was a moment for me where like, wow, the tables have turned. You think you can learn something from me? And just really understanding, yeah, like you can always learn more. There's always more for you to kind of learn and understand. And there's more room for you to grow no matter how much you've achieved or accomplished or where you've gotten to. I love that. And that lesson is so incredibly true. I, I heard Adam Grant, author Adam Grant, recently talking about that, about how just the best, it, it's there's a constant hunger to learn more. Like you've never feel like you've completely arrived, which is why you're continually pursuing more and learning more. And I think a lot of people get caught in a state that once they get to a certain level or once they do a certain thing, we let pride take over. And we just think we've made it, whether that's trying to silence imposter syndrome or fit in versus being the person that's always curious and asking questions. So I, I love hearing that. Uh, you've done a, a ton of work in, with athletes. Obviously, you you did a lot of focus in the hockey world. Soccer is kind of your passion. Uh, I know right now you're teaching and coaching as well. And one of the things you love to talk to your athletes about is the ABS, always focusing on that ABS. Tell us what that means. Yeah, well, I think I think I'm funnier than anyone else does because I always tell my athletes strengthen your abs, um, and we're not doing crunches when they're with me or anything. But um, when I refer to your abs, it's acceptance, it's your body language and your self talk. So. I try and break down um, the mental game um, as simply as possible, especially when I have new clients or I'm talking to someone for the first time. And I kind of break it down into the cycle of preparing, executing, and then reflecting. And then you have to prepare all over again. So then you can um, perform and then reflect. And there's just this ongoing cycle. And when you go to this execution or the perform stage, that's where I really talk about where you have to have acceptance. You got to be tuned in and focus on your body language and your self-talk is crucial. And um, they all kind of go hand in hand, but the first piece that acceptance is you're going to make mistakes no matter what, no matter how good you are. And you're going to have a lot of failures um, when it gets to goal setting, right? And you're trying to execute or perform to a certain goal. I tell my athletes, if you set a goal and you accomplish it right away, I'm not that impressed because we just made a list of things you already know how to do. And if we're only doing the things you know how to do, we're only going to get to where we've already been, right? So failure is that like integral part of this whole process we're on. And if we can accept that, then our self-talk and our body language when we make those mistakes are automatically going to be improved, right? And then more specifically looking at that body language, right? Really all your body languages, or not all, but um, 
primarily it's a communication piece, right? You're communicating to yourself and you're communicating to other people, even if it's not with words. So if I make a mistake and I instantly drop my head on the field or wherever I'm performing, the people I'm competing against see that. And I'm telling them, you know what, you got to me right now. And that's a huge cue for them to keep pushing. But I'm also kind of telling myself, like, I feel defeated and your brain's going to notice that. And then it's going to kind of release more neurotransmitters and chemicals that are going to make you feel more defeated or more frustrated. Um, so while you're not going to be able to tell yourself, be happy and instantly be happy, we all know that doesn't work. When you're nervous, say, don't be nervous. doesn't work that easily. But if you can at least stand tall, keep your head up, our body is much more easy for us to manipulate than our feelings and emotions in the moment. So, so, so let me ask you on that yeah. because uh, one of the things I love a uh, basketball psychology account, and I'm, I'm blanking on uh, Julie's last name that, that runs that, but made a post one time about your body language is a billboard for your mental toughness and your maturity. And, and I love how you talked about like, we can't control those feelings and those things we're feeling in the moment, but we can respond with how we reposition our body. And, and so I'm asking, I want to ask, is the goal when we get into that negative body language, the goal is to get back to at least neutral, right? And just have more of a neutral, even if it's a confident feeling from an emotional standpoint, we want the body to be in neutral or more one of the power poses to help control some of those emotions versus just completely trying to block how we're feeling in the moment. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just not giving in entirely to that moment, right? We, you and I were briefly talking about controllables, right? Yep. And controlling what your body does. I mean, I think we've all been in moments where we feel really frustrated and we want to maybe throw something or punch a pillow and we've restrained ourselves. That doesn't mean the feeling goes away right away, but we know we have more restraint physically than we do emotionally at times. Um, and so, yeah, I'm not saying make a mistake and skip down the field and look super happy and do a celebration. But if you can manage that, so you're not kind of taking a step down to that level of my shoulders are dropped. Now the other team knows that they're kind of in my head, they're getting to me, I'm feeling defeated, I'm feeling deflated and I look it. Um, we're, it's, it's just kind of that one step that you can take closer to responding more effectively. Um, let me, let me ask you along that same line, how important, because as someone who coaches uh, as well, how is it, how important are our teammates when those situations happen in that either, whether on the field, when, when we make a mistake, um, or even out in life, our friends in our really tight circle, where do you fall in terms of the coach of having your team and, and your individual players step up and, and when they see teammates with bad body language to intervene. Yeah. I mean, I think that's where as a coach, you always want your team to be talking, right? You say like a quiet practice, a quiet game is not a good one because you, you need people to be vocal and that's in different ways. Sometimes it's in like instructions, like tell them they got someone on them. They can't see that. You can see them help them out, but also just that, Hey, like head up no, next time you got it. Or like next one. Um, or even as a coach, just kind of making sure you're being vocal and like, right. And that ABS, that sec, that last part was self-talk. Well, when you play a team sport, you're so fortunate because if you are struggling, depending on what sport, right. In soccer, there's 11 people on the field. There's 10 other people on the field, plus more on the sideline that are there to help kind of almost as bumpers to guide you back on the path. If you do tend to drift. Um, and that's what good teammates and good coaches do. But at the same time, we're all also 
trying to keep ourselves on track and trying to keep our own self-talk going. So um, it's not easy by any means, but it is definitely a support system and um, something that is there to benefit everyone. And when I said that body language is communication, you're communicating to your teammates just as much as you're communicating to the other team. So yeah, um, good teammates cue into that and can notice. And I, and I love how you, you just mentioned that from a bumper standpoint, as well as everyone on the field, they're kind of in their own head at the same time. One of the things I, I just want to stress for listeners is the importance of those people you hang around with in terms of building that positive self-talk and, and having those people in your life that can help be some of those bumpers and understanding at the same time, they're probably going through things in their head. Uh, one of the things I've I found just through my own experience is the more I focus on how can I make sure I'm encouraged, uplifting, checking in on those people, the less I'm in my own head, which is a cool dynamic from a team standpoint is because when we get in our own head, we get in that negative self loop sometimes. And it's hard for us to get out versus taking more of an external focus in some of those situations to be able to look out. Speaking of kind of those negative self loops, we talked off air how about part of coaching over the last year, because it's, it's been a crazy year. We're filming this or recording this in June, but last year sports were kind of wiped out uh, for a lot of kids at high school level, college level. I mean, just all the way down. And you talked about this. I found fascinating. Your team practiced from August through to Thanksgiving, essentially no games. And, and so the idea of showing up, doing your best in practice, building your skill, building your teammates, there's a lot of people that check out in that um, because they're like, well, we're not going to get to play a game. It doesn't matter versus the individual that has the process mindset and is focused on how am I going to get better today for a future game or for a future moment or just to invest in my teammates. And so talk to us a little bit about how you started to navigate that, because I, I feel like for our listeners that are past the age of still playing sports, it's really easy to make the excuse and give up on a pursuit or showing up and giving your best when you don't know when that finish line or that opportunity will present. I feel like most people do that. And I feel like your example of your team practicing is a beautiful illustration of what real life is like. Sometimes you do not know when a next opportunity is going to come or when it's going to come, but you still have to prepare for it. Yeah. Um, it was definitely a unique challenge and um, being someone that hasn't coached for 30, 50 years, I felt kind of overwhelmed, but um, it's funny. One of the things that I think gave me a little bit of comfort was this was new territory for everyone. So um, talking to coaches who had been coaching for 50 years, we suddenly were on the same level of being like, yeah, I've never been here before. <laughs> what are we going to do? Um, and so with my team, um, I knew the girls on my team and I knew we were a very competitive team, but we practiced for games, right? Um, I had a lot of multi-sport athletes where soccer wasn't necessarily a primary sport, but they were competitive and they liked to play games and they liked to compete. So in a normal year, I noticed my biggest challenge was getting their compete level up on practice days because they always showed up on game days. And so going into this fall, I was like, okay, right now we only have practice days. And um, I don't want to just throw it out the window and be like, well, we don't have a season. So who cares if we get better? I still wanted there to be quality um, time and quality things taken out of um, those those months um, for everyone. So what I tried to do was create that competition as much as possible, whether it was small little games in practice. Uh, even when we do fitness, I'm not a huge fan of like, let's just run. It's usually a game. It's usually a race. There's something where they're competing with each other or themselves, right? Um, can you beat your time? Can you beat your personal best? Can you beat the girl next to you? Um, 
So that was really what I focused on as a school. Every Friday we had inner squad scrimmages trying to like give them the essence of a game day. Um, before that started, I made, we typically played Wednesday and Saturday in a normal season. So every Wednesday was game day anyway. Um, and at first I had created teams, four teams within our team that they were going to compete with on Wednesdays throughout the season. And so we were going to have an actual winner at the end um, with the way the year went, some kids left and came and our numbers kept shifting. So those teams did shift a bit, but yeah, I just found reasons to compete and people to compete against within our teams and within ourselves as much as possible. I love that. I love that. And, and bringing that competitive side, obviously forced them to continue working because you, you lose one week. You're like, I got to get better before Saturday or before next Wednesday. And it, and it just brings out the best. It, it's what healthy cultures are made of there, whether we're talking sports or business, there is compet competition and competitive sides in that. And so that, that was really fun to hear. One of the things that, as we kind of wrap up a little bit today that I know you talk to your athletes about that I find fascinating. And I'm curious if you can expand on is, is the conversations around commitment, patience, and laughter. Tell me what about these three things, one, you're so passionate and having conversations with and reinforcing with your athletes. Yeah, um, I think commitment is that first piece, right? Because a lot of times people reach out to me, they find out what I do and they're like, oh my God, um, I need to be mentally tougher. My student needs to be mentally tougher. My son, my daughter, my athlete, whatever it may be. And they're like, well, how do I become mentally tougher? And it to them, it's just this whole new concept. And I just pause for a second. I'm like, well, how do you become a better skilled athlete? And they're like, well, I go to practice. And I'm like, yeah, you got to practice this too. Um, it's, it's no different. It's a skill set. It's just a different type of skill set that might not be as tangible or visible as some of the things we're practicing on, on the court or on the field every day. Um, and so that commitment piece is huge because it takes time and dedication from the athlete, just like going to the gym might. Um, and sometimes it's hard to grasp because I think people will think of mental skills or a mindset and they're like, oh, well, we just got to like flip a switch. I, I just need to think better thoughts. And so they come talk to me and they're like, okay, yeah, I want to be mentally tougher and be more positive and have a 10 minute conversation. And they're like, that didn't work. <laughs> and um, I, I don't expect it to, right. Yeah. Um, or even having someone reach out to me about one of their players or their son or daughter and talk to me for 10 minutes and say, how come, how come so-and-so is struggling with their confidence? Having, I've never met the person. Um, and so I'm like, your, your guess is as good as mine. I could give you some common things that occur, but a lot of this process relies on the athlete or the person who's trying to improve their mindset. Um, I really see myself again, as just a coach as you would on a team where I'm there to provide guidance, provide kind of structure but you can show up to practice and just go through the motion and not get better. And it's the same thing here. Um, so that commitment piece is huge because it is that kind of back and forth. We can't just kind of give you an answer key and suddenly you're, you're thinking there's, things more positive yep. thoughts. And there's no one magic solution for everyone either. Not at all. Um, and so with that, um, patience becomes huge because it doesn't happen as quickly as people want it to or sometimes expect it to. Um, and I, I try and tell people all the time, a marathon runner wouldn't train for a marathon and then not run for five years and then go out for a run one day and say, I'm going to run 26.2 miles. And they're like, yeah, that sounds crazy. And so, well, you have to give your, your brain, your mindset, the same type of respect you give your body. Right. And so in order to get to that marathon endurance level, you have to train and you got to train your brain the same way. 
but along with that commitment and patience, laughter, I think, is the number one skill that we could all have. And people think I'm crazy for calling it a skill. But um, when it comes to that self-awareness and that perspective of failure and mistakes and knowing that that's such a big part of this process, being able to laugh at yourself, enjoy the moment, have fun is going to take you so much further than just this kind of clear cut driven focus seriousness. I think everyone, but a lot of athletes in general, take themselves a little bit too seriously. And when you're really serious, you tense up your whole body. Um, and think about when you make a mistake, right? If you can laugh it off, you're physically loose and anything you're trying to perform after anything you're trying to execute is going to happen so much more fluidly um, and at ease. If you get tense and tighten up every muscle, try swinging a baseball bat with really tight shoulders. Try running in a race with your clenching your fists or whatever it may be. It's, it's not as effective. So that laughter not only physically helps your body execute things, but it just floods your brains with all the endorphins that you want. It really helps you be present in the moment. I think we've all experienced times where we start laughing so hard, we have to stop and go, what were we talking about? That was really funny. I just got distracted. So, yeah. I, I Well, and I love that because it echoes some of the things we've talked about on the show of from a performance standpoint, whether we're in sports or making a sales call, the difference between coming at it from a gratitude mindset versus a fear mindset. And when you're afraid, you're very tense, you're, you're tight, you're not going to be at your best, where you're grateful in that moment, you have those laughter, you're able to be a little more free to embrace the opportunity and not be afraid of losing the opportunity, but be happy and, and grateful for having it and wanting to make the most of it. And so I love that laughter. It's funny because like sports announcers and people watching it always want their athletes to be so super serious. And if they mess up, they need to go to the sidelines and kick themselves and be mad and like some of the best guys that can kind of just laugh it off. Like, yep, messed up here. You know, that was a dumb mistake. Let's do it, you know, right the next time. And that upsets fans. But in reality, it it's a better mindset for them to have because they don't get caught in that inner negative loop that that person in the stands probably does after a, a, a bad sales call. Like they get caught in it, but they want the athlete to, to be the same mindset. So I love hearing that. I love that piece of it. Julia, yeah. Where can listeners learn more about your work and maybe get connected with you? Yeah, um, I'm on most of the social media. Instagram is probably the best. I'm a visual person, so I definitely post there the most. So um, Elaine Mental Performance, which is my last name, A-L-L-A-I-N. Um, Twitter, I'm AMP Coaching, A-M-P underscore coaching. And then my website is, again, ElaineMentalPerformance.com. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you incredibly for hanging out today. I just want to emphasize for the listeners still hanging on here that what you mentioned about putting in the work about the marathoner that's not going to run a marathon, sit around for five years and then try to run it again. We have to daily be working on our skills, mental skills, um, all across the board from, you know, visualization to being present, mindful in the moment to gratitude. Uh, because one day we hopefully never have anything that happens again, like 2020, but you're going to have something that's outside of your control. And the more you do the work now, the better you're going to be prepared for it mentally when it comes to that point. So Julia, thank you again for hanging out on the show this week. This has been an absolute pleasure. Awesome. Thank you so much. And if you laugh along the way, even no matter how much you fail, you're going to enjoy the journey. So it'll all be worth it. You'll be Amen. More <laughs> Amen to that. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Compete Everyday Podcast. To listen to past episodes, be sure to check out podcast.competeeveryday.com. And to get in touch with the show, email us at podcast at competeeveryday.com.
Everybody wants to win, but not everybody's willing to compete for that victory. Since you're one who will, show up today and win. We're cheering for you.